Hello, this is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. Welcome to this Solution Spotlight episode of our Control Amplified podcast, sponsored today by Seek Corp, publisher of data analytics software for process manufacturers. Joining me today are Michael Rissi, VP and CMO for Seek. Welcome, Michael. It's a great pleasure as always. Thanks, Keith. Great to be here. Also joining us is J.P. Bauman, principal at Altera, a venture capital fund that focuses on venture growth equity stage companies serving the energy and broader industrial space, and one of the early investors in and board members of Seek. A real pleasure to meet you, JP, and thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. For those of you who have listened to this podcast before, you know we tend to focus on best practices and technologies that can help engineers and operators charged with running the process industries, massive investments in production assets do so more safely, productively, sustainably, and profitably. But this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. I've asked uh, JP and Michael to share some best practices of another kind. That is when buying innovative new technologies, software or services from a company that you may not have quite the track record of a Emerson or Honeywell or Rockwell or Siemens, how can you make sure you're not left holding the bag? Maybe to get things started, Michael, you can tell us a little bit more about about Seek and uh, your position within the organization. Sure, Keith. So uh, Seek was founded in 2013. There were there were 10 of us uh, back in 2013 sitting around a picnic table mm-hmm. in uh, the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, eight years, almost eight years later, there's about 140, 150 of us. Wow. Uh, we've raised $115 million so far from a number of investors, including Altera, as well as Siemens Next 47, Saudi Aramco, Chevron Technology Partners, uh, as well as Cisco Investments, uh, and have hundreds of companies. So we're one of those companies maybe over the last few years, certainly in our earlier days, that customers may have wondered about, you know, who is this company? Uh, do I make a bet on them? How do I know they're, they're going to succeed? Uh, they'll be around tomorrow, things like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. JP, um, maybe set the stage a little bit. I understand Atira has a unique investment model where you really partner with strategic energy companies as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that, that partnership came about? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, just to kind of set that stage, I mean, as mentioned, Altera, we're a, we're a Denver-based venture capital firm. We were founded over 25 years ago, really with the, the mission to to invest in and help build great technology companies for the energy and industrial space. Um, and I think, you know, what, what's unique about us as a venture capital firm, they all take different shapes and flavors and so forth. But at Altera, we invest in a, in a very unique partnership with actual energy companies and we partner with them to identify invest in and then rapidly scale important innovation and so while our partners are predominantly in the energy space we also like to find technology as application across many different industry verticals mm-hmm. and so just to give you an example we've invested in things like artificial intelligence for contract analytics uh, remote operations connectivity, uh, energy storage software, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, uh, industrial big data analytics like C. You know, so our, our investment model, it's pretty interesting. You know, it, if you think about the topic of the podcast today, it, it is really was specifically designed to address many of the concerns that industrial customers have when they are thinking about adopting new technology. Sure. You know, it's really these same concerns that, you know, historically have also made Investing in investing in industrial tech and software very difficult. So, 
you know, the way that we've overcome these concerns, you know, as investors, which I think have applicability to, I'm sure a lot of listeners that are looking to buy and adopt technology is, uh, and by the way, it's been very successful in the way we overcome these challenges is that we work closely with these industrial partners over the life cycle of what we do. So it starts with, what are your big pain points? You know, you industrial customer, right? We start there. Uh, and then that helps us be very focused on things that are going to be important solutions to them. Of course, we involve them in our vetting and our due diligence so we can do things like field trials and proof of concepts and so forth. And then, of course, once we make the investment, we bring these partners to the table as large, fast adopting customers. Right. But then we also facilitate a lot of direct interaction mm-hmm. um, between our investee companies and our customer partners. Right. And then by doing so, these partners are able to help shape and guide these technologies and these offerings really to their spec. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, we provide some very unique access to our investment strategic partners. And so if you think about our model, you think about what are risks to early stage companies, you know, it's one and the same, both as an adopter and an investor. It's really the technology. Does it work? You know, what is the adoption rate going to be? So is this going to something that's going to be rolled over 20 years or can is it, does it solve a large, important problem and it will be adopted very quickly? Yeah. And then, of course, it's also about the team, right? You, you know, it's great to have a great product and a big market, but if you don't have a team that can execute and build a real company around this solution, you know, you know there's no real opportunity to, to use that. And so we completely understand this problem that you sort of laid out in this, in this mm-hmm. podcast. And so, again, we work with these partners. Um, they want to use innovative technologies, but there's a couple issues. One, they're, they're not always getting this from the incumbent service providers in their space. Right. And then two, they're oftentimes very hesitant to use new technology from an early stage company. If you think about it, it takes a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of risks on the part of these customer companies to work with early stage companies. So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, our partners take a lot of comfort in working with Altera because we vetted these technologies, but we also can be there standing alongside these early stage companies to help them mature and professionalize and really develop into a sustainable vendor for these industrial customers. So do you ever get some of your partner companies bringing uh, startups to you and saying, hey, take a look at these guys, or would you help them out because we think they've got something something going? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I could count on, you know, a, you know, a couple of hands, the number of times where our partners have said, hey, here's a great company. We, we love what they're doing. It solves a big problem. This is yeah. actual really important innovation to us. But, you know, we're, we're a little afraid to sign a big contract with these guys. I don't even know if they're going to be around in a year from now. So um, <laughs> it, it's a really neat how that partnership goes both ways. A lot of times we bring them things. We're sort of forward looking. Here's the look around the corner, the way the industry's going. And here's something you might not even be aware of that came from outside your industry. But oftentimes it's, hey, here's a, here's a company that knocked on our door. Hey, go take a look at these guys. We'd love to get you guys involved so we can get some comfort and and working with them going forward. So it sounds like you have a really kind of unique vantage point. So given that your investment partners are in the energy energy space, why are they looking for innovation? And is there a way you can kind of classify that the types of uh, innovation they're looking for in this day and age? Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, you know, why are they looking? I mean, first and foremost, it, it you know, it, it almost always starts with a major pain point, 
you know, yeah. we're trying to solve this. We're trying to do something better um, because we have an immediate issue. Um, you know, the other category is really, and you're seeing this across industries is this, you know, quote unquote, digital transformation that's happening, right? And, you know, and, and that's more the category of, look, we know there are new and completely new and better ways of doing, you know, kind of critical things to our, in our organization. And there's a large prize associated with that transformation. And so, you know, companies, I think, are always out looking for that. But, you know, I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. You know, we hear from our partners, and I think your listeners will, will definitely relate to, is that, you know, the, the engineers, the operators, they're busy with their day jobs. They don't, they don't have all the time in the world to go uh, scour the universe for the latest and greatest innovation, right? Sure, they're going to their industry conferences, and they're networking with peers, and they're reading their industry journals. Um, but I would say that doesn't really get them outside of their bubble, right? We always find that there's things that new ways of thinking tend to come from the outside and if you're open to it. And so, you know, uh, so that, you know, can happen. The innovation kind of can come from that and, and ideas. But then there's also a lot of these organizations will set up internal groups that can do some scouting and they'll be responsible for doing trials and so forth. But I know we, we, we from our view, those have kind of had mixed results. And, you know, it's been nice. Our partners have really found that, they can lean on Altera. They can lean on us to help go scout and you know curate deployable technology to address a lot of their issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, and the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, a lot of these folks have just sort of said, look, the large incumbent service providers are not bringing us real innovation. If you think about it, yeah. these incumbents have huge franchises. They don't want to disrupt. I mean, it's almost like they have a disincentive to to some of these. Sure. Um, new and emerging technology. And so that's really where, where we can come in as venture capital. If that is our job to find things that are going to have major improvements and disrupt um, the way industries are, are doing business. And that's sure. you know, really where our partners have leaned on us to find, find innovation. So. Well, that makes sense. So Michael, you, you obviously have JP on your board um, and they obviously had, had invested. Tell me a little bit about how how that uh, relationship developed with Altera from, from your perspective? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't remember if it was which way it went. I don't know if <laughs> Altera, I don't know if Altera found us and then they found out that some of their partner investors were already using Seek or if their partner investors were using Seek and they said, you know, we're using Seek and you should take a look at it, JP. I, all I remember was, it was, yeah. it was pretty quick and it was pretty symbiotic because they're, Investors were already using Seek, and so the enthusiasm was 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 on both sides pretty quickly. Is, yeah. is that about right, JP? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, we're we're constantly sitting down with our partners and understanding, hey, who's knocked on your door lately? Who have you <laughs> said this is interesting, but we're a little hesitant? Are these guys going to be around? Um, so yeah, it actually it came from that way as well as uh, another customer that we know really well. One of Seek's original customers had mentioned mm-hmm. them to us, and. Um, you know, we uh, got connected to the CEO, and next thing we know, we had Michael and the rest of their team in Denver sitting down with us, walking us through their plan. And this was uh, Seek was certainly one. It didn't take us long to get our heads around and say, "Yep, there's a there's a big pain point here, and it's uh, this is something we want to be part of." So. Yeah, Michael. I guess uh, let me also congratulate you on uh, Seek's latest uh, round of investment, a Series C influx of some. 50 million, if I'm getting that right. I think this is that's right. That's actually the yeah. announcement that kind of had me thinking about this idea for the <laughs> podcast was like, you know what, that's an interesting uh, way to talk about how to, how do, how do people, how should people view new companies? How should they 
invest in them and, and invest in them as uh, as customers and not get, not get left holding the bag. So, but right. it, this actual level of investment really puts seeking a different league of performance expectation, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just a strategic investor that's looking at the longer term. Uh, this is a these guys want some cash flow out of you, don't they? <laughs> that I would say so does JP, but yes, that's well, yeah. another level of the. Um, it's it another might be level a little more game. patient, maybe. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the the key thing is, you know, how do you think about this? Uh, series C, right? And 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 just what Series C? It's the round after Series B. What's Series B? It's the round after Series A. Right. So it's basically the third stage of funding that a startup will go through. And the interesting data point for all for the engineers in the audience. About 10%, depending on the year in the cohort, about 10% of companies get to a Series C, right? 90% don't is the other way to look at that. And of yeah. the 10% that get there, approximately 90% have an, you know, a positive outcome in terms of either becoming profitable, uh, going public, be, being acquired. And, and, and the key thing is being acquired for the business, right? When small companies are acquired early, that's called an aqua hire, where you're basically acquiring the company to hire the employees. Mm -hmm. So, Series C is this inflection point where you where you are in a different category of organization in terms of size, potential, momentum, and highly probable outcome. Right? It's it's a very different thing to talk to a Series C company to invest time and 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 money from an organization's perspective than it is you know from those early days in the in the Series A camp. Sure. And I'm sure as uh, even as as early stage company, when you went to see customers, you were probably cleaning up from some of those 90 percent companies that, that didn't make it. <laughs> Are the, were, what were some of the, the biggest um, mistakes that you saw um, or oversights that customers have confessed to when you when it came to buying from a startup? Are there things things they shared with you? You know, it, it, we call those oops. Uh -huh. uh, the oops customers like oops we didn't and honestly it's oops we didn't know you were out there yeah and what it was was just you know the, the basics of if if you're interested in something if something's interesting it's interesting enough to that you're going to invest money and time in then spend an hour right and i can i can be yeah. very prescriptive about this spend an hour go to linkedin and look at the employees sure. of this company and where are they coming from and how many employees do they have and is the headcount growing or not, right? Just yeah. straight up and, and build a little table. Have have a couple different options, figure out what the options should be, have a couple. LinkedIn, let's talk about the employees, their history, mm -hmm. how many of there are, is the company growing or, or not? Number two, go to a site like Crunchbase, which has the funding history, okay? How much have they had invested in them? When were the investments? Uh, what are the names associated with the investors, right? You know, Altera, obviously a huge plus for us in, in that category. And number three, this is going to sound incredibly tactical, but realistic. Go to the company's webpage, uh -huh. website, and look at their blog. When was the last time they posted a blog? Yeah. And, uh, you know, are they keeping things up? Are they keeping things fresh? Are they keeping things, you know, um, is there a sense of momentum? If, if you do those three things across a couple different companies, just very quickly, you will get a sense of, okay, who's got momentum and where is it worth spending time and energy? Uh, if you if you see something interesting and pursue it, then that's where we come up, that's where we get the oops customers from. You know, oops, we didn't consider seek in this context and, you know, switching is always a little bit harder than starting from scratch. Yeah, well, that makes sense. 
Um, JP, as an early stage investor, you're often putting millions of dollars on the line with many of the same concerns that the potential customers have. It's never 100%, obviously, but is there due diligence that you perform, questions you ask and have answered before you decide to invest? Are any of these practical for uh, an end user audience might be able to learn from and apply to their own tech investments? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll echo a lot of what, what Michael said. It's interesting. There's, there's a lot of parallels, right, between how a, how a customer looks at this as well as an investor. You know, and again, as to Michael's point, there's no question. I, I have a really interesting vantage point, right? Early stage companies fail. I mean, mm-hmm. very frequently, right? The ones yeah. that make it to the Wall Street Journal are the very select few. And um, and they fail for a bunch of different reasons. It's good to keep them in mind. I mean, there's all sorts of studies and surveys, but it ranges from not having the right product market fit, right? So it's a solution, still looking for a problem. Um, you know, slow adoption, right? We know sometimes our industrial customers can be very slow to adopt. Well, customers, companies can just run out of cash because they don't, you know, they're not getting enough customers, right? So, right. you know, that that that's something. Um, and then sometimes companies just break as they try to grow, right? Think about scaling from 10 to 20 people to two or 300 like CCAS. That takes some very skilled, um, you know, executives, and I'd like to think board members can help with that, right? It, you got to be able to continue to execute as you grow. So there's all sorts of risk, certainly with these early stage companies. And as Michael mentioned, you can start to handicap that a little bit by following their funding and seeing how they're progressing. There's some real kind of indications there, you know. And then I guess a little bit into the insight and kind of the sausage making you know, what a venture firm does, right? We talk about funding. Well, what does that mean? Well, look, I mean, as venture investors, I mean, our job is to ensure that you know, we're building great companies and that they have all the re- right resources, right? And right. so if you think about it, it's making sure the company's properly capitalized. Do they have the right resources to grow and continue to invest in their product development? Um, you know, do they have the ability to go out and recruit and retain the right team and the right executives that know how to grow a business? You know, different stage companies have different challenges. Do they have the right team to lead them through that? Yeah. And then I'd like to say, you know, the proper governance, you know, the proper oversight, right? Making sure you have these certifications, you know, again, all the things that help, you know, put in place a foundation to build a large, a large company. And so I think as you look at, as Michael mentioned, you look at these funding rounds, you get successful rounds. I mean, those are those are resources to help the company grow. Those are credible partners that do this professionally to make sure, hey, these are viable customers. And the later you know they get, you know, the, I guess the more comfort you can you can take. And so you know, the only thing I would add, you know, that that's one area. I mean, certainly, like you said, looking at the news, looking at the LinkedIn site, you can you can gain a lot. You can do they have referenceable customers. Hey, uh, ask them. Can I give one of your customers a call? I mean, that's it takes a little time, but you might learn a lot. You might create a new, uh, a new you know, somebody new for your network. You know, take a look at that team. Do they have entrepreneurial experience? Is this their first time? Some entrepreneurs can take these companies for a while. Sometimes they're they're part of a succession plan. You know, do is there a large market for this? Is this just a point solution, or is this a big application? I mean, that those are all things that. Will help you think about hey is this company going to continue to grow is it going to continue to get funding so in simplest terms i would i would break it down in this way i would say uh it's team market and product right if they have those three things uh you can bet that there's there's somebody like me if you find somebody out there that checks those three boxes give me a call because i'd like to meet these uh <laughs> early stage companies but i think absolutely you know you could do your own you can do your own analysis there but 
um, chances are somebody who's doing has a great team, a huge market for their solution and a product that works and is being developed and progressed. That, that's one that is a good chance it's going to continue to get funding and be a good vendor for you going forward. Any new startup is going to have zero com customers at some point. How do those very first customers, the ones who can't call a reference, <laughs> what, what qualifies them? Do, who, who's the type of companies that see a really large prize of adopting a new technology? How do they take that plunge and get the courage to take the risk on a, on a brand new company? Well, in, in our experience, again, early days of, of Seek perspective, it wasn't at the company level, it was at the individual level. You found somebody who, you know, a champion right. who saw what we were doing, Seek was doing, and said, I get it, right? And it was it was very much an individual, personal um, drive that they had. By the way, a lot of those have gotten promoted. Those folks have gotten promoted <laughs> since then for their ability to spot this innovation yeah. that's, that's worked out so well. But it really comes down to an individual person that's, that feels the, the pain that JP spoke of mm -hmm. and says, I recognize what this is trying to do. And they get personally uh, and professionally, you know, committed to giving the the vendor and seek in this case but giving the vendor feedback and and pushing them and pulling them and, and working with us as a, as a partner and a customer to uh, improve the product and and you know make that bet make that early early vision they had pay off for the, themselves and for their organization yeah do you have anything to add from your perspective jp on that yeah no i think i echo a lot of what michael said there um you know, look, we, we commend those those early pioneers, right? Because, you know, somebody has to be that leader and, um, you know, they're doing it because there's huge value for their organization, right? There, there may be some risk, but it, there's huge value. And so, you know, I would say, look, you can't do this 10 times a year, but maybe, maybe you really sit down. What are your big pain points? What could really impact your business if, if this technology worked? And, and then set set the right expectations internally. Look, we're going to do a couple of these a year, and we're going to work with these companies because it has a huge reward for us. And they may or may not work, but that way, you know, you you manage expectations, and you know, and and it, there is an opportunity to work with that company. I spoke earlier about you know the ability to kind of shape and guide some of these technologies. I mean, you can do that as an early customer. And by the way, the entrepreneur loves that. They would love to talk to you once a week if they could. So. It does take a little bit of time and investment, but if you start with something that is a huge payoff for you in the end, I think a lot of our uh, partners have found it uh, absolutely worth it. And, you know, as I said, it can be very rewarding. And, um, uh, you know, I completely agree with Michael. We, we've seen people in these organizations um, take on this leadership and, and be promoted because of it, because of the value that's created. So I, I, I don't want to ever discourage somebody from, from working with these early stage companies uh, because, you know, that, that is the way we progress our industries. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From, from your perspective, Michael, you know, having, having one champion is a great place to start, but obviously, you know, a lot of Seek's growth has, has come from being able to replicate that success from one, one individual to another, to another facility within the same organization. You know, a lot of end users as well as tech companies have been, having trouble getting stuck in pilot purgatory, you know, we're going to try one pilot and, and we're going to, and, and it never progresses beyond that. And I think you've clearly found, uh, found a way past that. Can you share a little bit about what you do with your, your clients to help get broader adoption? So, so uh, you, you can scale it within the organization. That's, that's uh, 
Interesting, because I read about that. I, uh-huh. A number of analyst firms talk about pilot purgatory and how to get past it and this, that, and the You've other. You've never run into it yourself, no? Uh, but we don't. It's not something we either see or experience. Uh, and if you look, for example, at our top 50 customers, um, customers who are spending hundreds of thousands and up over a million dollars on Seek because they've got hundreds or thousands of users of Seek. Mm-hmm. I want to say 47 out of the top 50 all started as pilots. Mm-hmm. And so... Pilot purgatory, getting trapped is not something we experience. Why not? I think there's a couple things. Certainly ease of use. You know, your existing employees with their en- with their engineering degrees, their expertise, their experience, if they can use Excel, they can use Seek. Ease of use is a key thing about getting viral spread rapidly. Uh, the other thing I think is key is just the time to value, right? right? So once you've got your existing users, you've got your data where it is, because you don't need you to move or change it, but your data can be where it is your existing users, an easy to use product, then their time to value, you know, gets measured in hours or days rather than months or quarters. I mean, nobody at the end of a seek proof of value experience is wondering whether they got value from it or not. That's which would be the normal sort of, well, maybe we should think about this a little longer story, but that's not what happens with seek the way we've designed the software and the user experience. So having accessibility to those users, ease of use, having a very fast ROI, very provable impact, yeah. you know, whether that's the asset availability or higher quality or higher production or better regulatory compliance. I mean, our, our customers measure value starting at the millions of dollars, right? It's a million dollars of impact. And that's pretty easy to see. So mm-hmm. we haven't we haven't had that issue where we get stuck forever in pilot. We tend to go in, prove value quickly, and then grow quickly within those organizations. Uh, as I said, the yeah. 47 out of the top 50 all started as, as proof of values and we've grown from there. Yeah, that makes sense. JP, you have, have you run into that this problem with any other companies that you've worked with where scaling yeah. has been an issue? And, and if so, you know, what typically been the problem? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would say, you know, it depends on where the company is in its life cycle, right? I mean, as we said, some of these early, very, very early stage companies maybe don't have the luxury of of going in and, and commanding quite as much, you know, in, in these proof of concepts. You know, it is a partnership model with that customer. Hey, you know, you're going to give us access to your operations and we're going to do this. So, but as you get later, you know, I, I mean, we, we often try to push companies to a point where, number one, you know, somebody's paying for the trial, you know, nobody's getting anything for free because if you, you, if you have some skin in the game, it makes, you know, that customer more focused on it and, and more interested in making it successful. Um, and then the other thing we really encourage, you know, our sales teams and our entrepreneurs is to, is to really make sure you set expectations of, okay, here's the pilot, here's how it's going to progress. You know, here's how the product is going to evolve. Here's what the expectation is of you as the customer Here's what the rollout looks like. I mean, kind of setting some of that up front, I think, you know, can help you get out of that purgatory. Um, it, it, by no means is that, you know, an easy thing to do. But I, I think folks that kind of set those expectations and the broader rollout up front tend to do better in that category. So have some mutual agreement about what that value that Michael was mentioning is, is going to be. And if that value is there, then the path should be forward to do more. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I think we're 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 kind of coming down to the the end of our allotted time here. But I guess in conclusion, I might ask you to each share maybe your most important go-to criteria for judging whether to invest or purchase from a a given tech company. Do you have one 
overriding concern that you would expect our listeners to uh, to retain once <laughs> that, once they leave the podcast today? Like I said, I think there's a lot of parallel to what we do and what, how an you know an industrial buyer would look. I, I, I it always comes down to the team. Yeah, uh, I'm not just saying that because Michael's on the call here. It, <laughs> it always comes down to the team because you know what I can tell you that product and that solution is going to look a little different than the way it was originally drawn up and it will evolve over time. Every company runs into challenges. Every market evolves and. If you start with a a great team and a, and a good leader, I think that 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 tends to be you know, the, the the biggest sort of predictor of success. A lot of other things do have to fall into place, but we always almost always start with the team and go from there. Well, that makes sense. What what from your perspective, Michael? Yeah, it's a tough word, but just the, the sense of momentum. Yeah. Right. It's, there's, uh, you consider the externalities and what will change. As JP said, the product won't look quite the same in a little in a little while, or or for goodness sakes, the situation we've had the last year with the pandemic and COVID. Like things are going to happen, and so if they've got a center of gravity, if they've got some mass, if they've got momentum, they've got that team, they've got you know a head of steam, then then they're going to get past some of those things. Is it's called pivoting. Either there's some minor pivots in what they're building or how they're thinking about the business or they're going to survive those external pressures. And we've certainly seen some of those recently. So that, that sense of momentum that they have, uh, is it, is it building, you know, year over year and, and over time, then that's, that's going to be somebody who's going to come out the other side, maybe a little different, like JP said, but it's going to come out the other side and, and reward investment, early investment in, uh, in the organization. Well, I certainly get a sense of momentum just from talking to you, Michael. So you, you clearly broadcast that <laughs> from Seek's perspective. So, so you're a good representative for both the team and the momentum on Seek's perspective. Thank Seek's you. So I, I think uh, we're, we're just about out of time. So JP and Michael, I really can't thank you enough for, for chatting with us and sharing your insights with us today. For those of you who are listening, thanks Thanks also for tuning in. Thanks to Seek for sponsoring this episode. I'm Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. Thank you all for listening in. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at the iTunes Store and at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time. Thanks again, JP. Thanks again, Mike.